So I don't know what memories you have of uh, your childhood, if your family was to go on road trips, how you would occupy yourself, or when maybe when your kids were little, how they occupied themselves on a long car ride. My parents tried real hard, you know, had one of those um, little thing with the iron shavings in it and a magnet, you try to put a beard on the guy. That was about two minutes of fun. And... Uh, it was, if it was a trip where we didn't have a lot of stuff, we would jump the seats of the station wagon, you know, one row to the next to the back, and just that we were just, there was no seatbelts. That, that, I mean, they were in the car, but we weren't using them. Um, but if we were going camping or something and it was jammed, we had to sit, me and my three sisters, my parents, you know, three on the front bench, three on the back bench. That was terrible. Uh, but I don't know if there was, you know, your family, if you would sing songs together or play little games with street signs and license plates, that sort of thing. The kids today, they have no idea. I mean, everybody's got their own device, streaming, you could binge watch anything, everybody's got their own you know, wireless uh, earphones, and we're all just, too, you could, hours and hours of driving could go by like nothing, fully entertained. We were describing to our children this year, we're on an airplane, we said, kids, do you know on an airplane, they used to show a movie, everybody had to watch the same movie at the same time. And they were horrified. Like, that's terrible. So, ancient Israel, uh, God's people, they were required multiple times a year to take a road trip. They had to travel from wherever they lived, whatever village or town, to Jerusalem for festivals and for worship. And they had their little ways along the way to get, as they're approaching Jerusalem, to occupy their time. And they would sing together. And they would sing what are called songs of ascent. And Psalm 122 was read for us today. This is one of those road trip songs that, that the pilgrims would sing on their way to get ready to go to worship. And uh, we're going to look at this psalm and consider what it means for them, or what it meant for them, and what it means for us to gather together and to worship as a people. And and um, that's what we want to do. But why is this so important for us today? I would argue that our gathered worship is vital for our spiritual lives. It is a life-giving thing. The New Testament of the Bible says, do not give up meeting together. Whatever you do, whatever the circumstances, we need to be a people who are committed to being together to worship God. There was an article in Christianity Today last month entitled, Empty Pews Are an American Public Health Crisis. Americans are rapidly giving up on church. Our minds and bodies will pay the price. Basically, their point was that fewer and fewer people are choosing to gather together to worship. And the reason they're not gathering is is not because there was some scandal at their church or they have some huge crisis of faith. Usually it's just about um, preferences, uh, you know, maybe this part of the worship they don't like. They just prefer to do it on their own. And so people just doing their own spiritual thing privately. But, and, and that's not good for churches, but the argument of the article is that that's not good, that's not good for our world. Uh, that there's a public health crisis that's coming from that. It's going to get worse and worse. And they have all this research. Hear this. Quote from the article. A number of large and well-designed research studies have found that religious service attendance is associated with greater longevity, 
less depression, less suicide, less smoking, less substance abuse, better cancer and cardiovascular disease survival, less divorce, greater social support, greater meaning in life, greater life satisfaction, more volunteering, and greater civil engagement. Now, we don't worship to, to have better health. We don't worship to have a stronger marriage. We worship because God is worthy of worship. But when we worship our God who is worthy, there is something powerful and profound, and it can be measured by scientists who do this kind of research. This is their conclusion. Quote, something about the communal religious experience seems to matter. Something powerful takes place there. Something that enhances health and well-being. And it is something very different than what comes from solitary spirituality. Our gathered worship is critically important as we glorify God, as we edify each other, we build up each other as we're together in this place. And there is a vital and a life-giving bond between what we do gathered here and what happens once we scatter from this place to the places where God has placed us. So that is what uh, I want to look at in light of Psalm 122, which is going to teach us a little bit more about that. So let's pray. Father God, we confess wholeheartedly that you are worthy of everything. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our time. You are a great and good God. And you are so good that as we seek to worship you, that the abundance of your love and goodness is flowing back to us as you build us up, as you teach us in this time, as we are building one another up as we gather. And so you're just... You're that good. And so it's to you, our good and loving God, that we pray with confidence that you in this time will continue to teach us, continue to lead us to good places. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Three things about worship here. The preparation for worship, the people of worship, the places of worship. I'm going to spend most of our time on that first one. Preparation for worship. Again, this is a psalm of ascents. This is not ascents or ascents, but it's A-S-C-E-N-T-S. Psalm of ascents, ascending. To the city. These are pilgrims heading to the city. They're singing this, these words. Verse 1. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. The worship started before they even got there. Hey, we're, gonna, we're going on the pilgrimage. We're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to... I am rejoicing when you say that to me because I know where we're headed and this is a good thing. They're excited. They were pumped up for worship. And they're singing their songs. So I asked the question, you know, what would it be like if we had rhythms like that? Where we were really just preparing our hearts for our gathered worship. And as a church, largely, we don't. I know that because that's what you said we just did a natural church development survey, NCD. A number of the members of this church created sort of a sample and did this survey. And one of the questions on the survey is, do you prepare your heart to worship? And you said, no. And that's okay. You were, I appreciate your honesty. That wasn't somebody else's evaluation of us. That's what you shared. But I would say there are times when we do prepare our hearts for worship. Now, they did it three times a year. They would make this kind of pilgrimage from wherever they live to the festival, to the feast where they were going to worship. So Deuteronomy 16.16 16 says this. 
This is God's instruction. He said, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's also known as Passover. We celebrate, as Christians, we celebrate the Passover too. We call it Easter. Because it was at the Passover that Jesus, the greater and true ultimate Passover lamb, gave his life on the Good Friday and rose to new life. We celebrate that Easter Sunday, but that is all connected to the Jewish Passover. So we, we do celebrate that big. And we prepare. We have a whole season called Lent where we kick it off with times of repentance and uh, typically at an Ash Wednesday service. And for those weeks leading up to this celebration where some people are fasting in different ways, they're taking on different spiritual practices to be ready to, for this great celebration. And then we, um, you know, we put up the banners and we invite people. So it's, it is, we really do prepare for that. It kind of, it's a lot of similarity there, actually. The second festival that's mentioned here is the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, as it's called. And the Feast of Tabernacles, or Booth, a little tent, it was remembering their time God's, when God's people were in the wilderness and how God was with them. That they lived in tents. Actually, God lived in a very special tent as well. Even at the time of David, they're still using this tent that God dwelt with his people we celebrate God dwelling with his people at Christmas. That God came and made his dwelling among us. And the word, in the Gospel of John, when, when he says the, that Jesus, the word, came and made his dwelling, it's the word tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. So we celebrate God with us at Christmas. And we prepare for that, right? We decorate our homes. We, we uh, have Advent wreaths and, and we light the candles in anticipation of this great celebration of God with us. Very similar to the, um, in, in the sense and its motivation to the Feast of Tabernacles. The third feast that's mentioned here is the Feast of Weeks, also known as the Feast of Pentecost. And as Christians, the, the, it was kind of a harvest, an early harvest festival for them, a spring harvest. For us, Pentecost, as Christians, was the same time at the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit of God came upon his people, and they, it was sort of the birthday of the church. This was the launch of church ministry, that the Holy Spirit is empowering his people to do the work of ministry. And we also celebrate that, maybe not a perfect analogy, but let's say our big fall kickoff, big outdoor service. It's a new season of ministry that the Holy Spirit has empowered us to do ministry, and we're launching a new season, and we have a big party, and we worship and celebrate. Our outdoor worship service at the, with the picnic and everything, that's been the largest single attended gathering of Preach Christian Church two years in a row, where all the people in one place at one service. So that's a big Thing, and it, obviously a lot of build-up for that and a lot of fun and, and great celebration. So if they were to do this, you know, three times a year, I think there's three times a year where we really go big. And, and I think that's good. They, you know, they would shut down their work. They'd have to, you know, obviously make plans to travel, make offerings to God. I mean, these were major holidays for these people. And for us, we do also have the kind of those major seasons and holidays. And again, we 
have extra services, special location. You dress differently on those Sundays. You bring extra family members. You plan where you're going to park. Where are we going to eat afterwards? I mean, it's a whole big thing that you prepare for. So to say, okay, but 52 weeks a year we gather to worship, you know, to put that kind of pressure, to have that kind of buildup every week is a bit much. Maybe an unfair comparison. But are there things that we could do week in and week out to prepare our hearts for this gathering that we might worship together and to be excited and for, for what's happening here? Because remember, our worship is not tied to just a rhythm of festivals or to a specific city, Jerusalem, and a specific place of worship. Because of Jesus, our worship can happen all the time and everywhere. So as we gather weekly, are there things we could do? I made a little list of ideas. These are just, you can kind of take them or leave them, but I thought these were okay ideas. First idea, you could show up early. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to start a fight in your family, um, but it's something you could think about together. And I know in how, whoever you travel to church with, that could be, this could, I'm not trying to start a fight, but I'm saying if you got here early, you could spend some time. We play a live prelude every week before the service. And sometimes people like to sit and the recorded music stops and just hear music and just whatever busyness of the morning, you can just recenter and prepare your heart for what God has in this time. And we do that every week unless we get distracted or forget. <laughs> Did you know the coffee is ready early? We have coffee after the service, but it's ready before the service, and you can get a cup. If you're here that early, have a cup of coffee. Come in, sit, focus the heart. That's one idea. Uh, another idea, you could read the scripture that we're focusing on in advance of the service. So I had one person at the 9 o'clock, and she said, she basically said, I don't want to come to church if I don't know ahead of time what the scripture is because she reads it and meditates on it and makes a list of questions. She said, when you start preaching, I, I want to be ready because you use a lot of words. That's true. I use a lot of words. She said, but I want to come with my questions and my reflection and then I'm not just getting it cold from you. And I thought that was a, a beautiful thing. When you get a, if you get the weekly email from the church, it has the sermon title, and the scripture that we're using, and you could just read it. That's a very simple way to just be more ready for what this is. Um, third idea, you could, there may be music, maybe songs, just as they used songs to get ready to worship, that maybe music is part of that. I don't know if you noticed, I think it was this week or in the last two weeks, the weekly email goes out, and there's now a link to a playlist of songs that our team is populating a list of music that lines up with the themes that we've been teaching and focusing on as a church. And you could just listen to those songs on your ride in or when you get a chance. Now, that may not be your thing, but if that's helpful for you, it's, it's right there. You could just click it. It'll send you to a playlist, and they'll keep modifying that as we are into different seasons. So maybe music will be part of your preparation. Uh, simple as prayer. Saturday night or Sunday morning, when you, when you go to bed Saturday, to pray God, what do you want to show me tomorrow? Prepare my heart, Lord. Pray for me. And people do pray for me. It's very humbling. Very humbling to know that people say, bless my pastor tomorrow. Give him clarity of speech. Help him to not be boring or wrong. <laughs> Seriously. And that I, if I'm going to be discouraged or 
face spiritual attack, it will likely be in those moments as well. And you're praying and lifting me up, and I appreciate that. And pray for yourself. God, keep me from any discouragement or attack. The enemy does not want us to have a good experience here. Pray for your ministry. Um, When you come here on Sunday, either formally or informally, you're going to be interacting with other people. And God may want you to be a blessing to someone else, the way that you greet people, or the way that you serve, or the way you interact. We've had people in the last few weeks came to worship here, have never stepped foot in a church of any Christian type of church in their entire life. That walking through the doors of Free Christian Church on 31 Elm Street was their very first exposure to any type of Christian worship. And God may have something for you as you greet that person, as we worship together and sing together. It it all boils down to, do you believe that God could do something amazing as we gather? You can come to church on a Sunday morning to gather to worship, and somebody sitting near you could move from death to life in their response to the good news of Jesus Christ. And you could witness it with your own eyes because God is that good, and God is active right now as we gather and worship him. Do you believe that? And, and, I, and it may be completely unrelated to anything I say. You could be just, your mind could just wander off while I'm talking. I'll have no idea. But the, the God of the universe cares for you and by his spirit may be prompting you towards something that is right and good to, to, to repent or to trust or to whatever the situation is. God can speak to you in this time. And do we have hearts that say, wow. This, I actually expect something good because God is that good because he can do it. Why not? And so it's about preparation for worship. In all the years I've been here, I'm not sure I've really taught on this. I'm not sure I've really emphasized this. So I, I thought this was, Psalm 122 is a perfect place to emphasize that. Preparation for worship. Now, I've got two more in my remaining time, so I will... These are important too, though. So that's preparation for worship. The second thing in the psalm here is the people of worship. Look at verse 3. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. You know, when I was a kid, uh, grew up in southern New Hampshire, driving to Boston, that was one of the road trips, going to the city. We didn't go often, but when we did... There's that moment when you're kind of coming around, that you come out of Stoneham, you're coming around the bend, and you see the city for the first time. You can see the whole thing right in front of you. And it's this amazing skyline just out of nowhere. And it's, it's really striking. Uh, or if you, even if around here, if you hike up on the, um, the Ward Reservation up onto Holt Hill there, on a clear day, you get to up to the, where the solstice stones are if you've hiked up there. If you haven't, you should. The, you look out. And you can out of it looks like between here and Boston, it's just forest. That's really what it looks like. And then you see the skyline just out of nowhere, these buildings straight up. These pilgrims going to Jerusalem, they're coming some, from some very rural places in a not a very developed world. And they see how these, the walls and the buildings are just so tall and straight and together. And that's parallel in the psalm here to the people. So they see the city all lined up, and they see the tribes. This is, you know, this is where the tribes go up to worship together. The tribes of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, or he's also known as Israel, his sons and then their families become these tribes. And they weren't always unified. 
from the time they were children, essentially. I mean, there was some sibling, if you know the story, I mean, sibling rivalry or conflict, it was bad. But there was times when they were united as a people. But in the time of the judges, they were, they were warring against each other. Just as David is ascending to the throne, there is war between the tribes. And then after his son's time on the throne, they were divided again. There was times of warring between these tribes. But here, this is a nation of people who are unified as one, worshiping together. And there's just a beauty of the unity of God's people when we gather together to glorify God, to edify one another. When we do that, there is no race, there is no class, there is no gender. We are one humanity, all standing on the same ground, all Human beings created in the image of God, but broken by sin, in need of God's grace. And that we all stand. There's no, there's no status. Now, it doesn't obliterate our differences. Our differences are beautiful. We learn from one another in our varied experiences. But we come from every background as one people. And therefore, there's no, there's no boasting and there's no victims we're all one. Nobody has anything so great that they're bringing to the table, and nobody is so broken that God cannot redeem. We all are on the same, the same place. People who would otherwise never cross paths, who would never be friends with one another, they gather together as one people. And that's so beautiful. That does not exist very much in our world. Our world is very divided. People divide for all types of reasons. And we don't see this beautiful unity. Our world talks a, talks a big game about unity, but loves to label people, loves to classify people. And when we, when we gather in this way, we are one people. In the world, you have to force it. You have to force people together. Here, we willingly, rejoicingly come together as one. It's Jesus' death and resurrection that removes the dividing wall between us and God and between us and anyone else, regardless of your background. And when we do this and when we worship this way, it's a taste of heaven. It's a foreshadow of the day when every tongue and tribe and nation in the world will, with one voice, be singing praise to God in perfect peace and perfect unity. And it reminds us that we need that because that's our destiny. When we leave here, when you go through those doors, you're going to see division. You're going to hear fighting and different ideologies all over the place. That's not our destiny. Our destiny is unity and peace. And when we gather and we sing a song together, it's a little picture of that unity that we'll experience in all of its fullness one day. That is, that's the people of worship, and that's beautiful. So we prepare our hearts, preparation for worship. We are unified as people of worship. And then lastly, the places of worship. This is interesting. Verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you, Jerusalem, may those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity, Jerusalem. Sort of a prayer to the city. The blessing of worship is lived out in the city in which it takes place. It's not just in the sanctuary, but in the whole city. Now, of course, Jerusalem was a very special designated place of worship that God had commanded. So, of course, it was a, it was a special city. So you might pray special blessing. But wherever God's people are, we are called to seek the peace and the prosperity of those places as well. Remember, God's people couldn't always make this pilgrimage. There was times when they were exiled. 
Jeremiah, very famous passage, Jeremiah 29, God's people are exiled in Babylon. They cannot go to Jerusalem. They cannot do these pilgrimages. They can't celebrate these festivals in the same way. This is the instruction through the prophet. Jeremiah 29, 7. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, if it prospers you too will prosper. You see, as we live out our way of life in the cities and in the towns to which God has put us, there is peace and prosperity that we bring with us. We bring a way of life, and it is a countercultural way of life. It is a way of life that is good, that is beautiful, it is true and honest. It brings peace and reconciliation as we live it out in, our, in these places. There's healing and forgiveness when we live it out, and people see this in our lives, and they say, what is this what is the reason for the joy that you have? And the Bible says, you better be ready, whatever the season, to explain what the joy is that you have. It's Jesus. It is Jesus. It is a God who came to a world that's very broken, who lived a life I could never live, who died a death that I deserved to die for my sin. And he did it in my place. And through that exchange, he gives me forgiveness, new life, eternal and abundant life, that I now live a way of life wherever I am that's going to bring peace and prosperity and blessing to those places. The, the place of worship extends from the sanctuary, whether it's Jerusalem or Babylon or 31 Elm Street and Andover, and it extends out into our cities and into our towns. That's the places of worship. Jesus came and he lived and he died so that we can be true worshipers. So every time we worship together, we're meeting with God, we're helping to build up one another, and then we are launching out from here to, to those places that God has called you to. And there's a vital connection, and I hope you can see it, between what we do here and what we do in our everyday lives. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you'd help us to grow in our understanding of what this is, of the beautiful privilege of gathering freely in your name to worship you, to be your people, to in some way give you the glory that you are deserving. I just pray that we, we would know it in deeper and more meaningful ways, that you would prepare our hearts for whatever you have for us as we do this. transform lives, we pray. Pray that hearts would be drawn to you in every way. May it start with our hearts and extend into our world. In the name of Jesus, amen.